I have fought the worst of all wars and witnessed the redemption of evil. I have seen balance restored to the force. But order can turn to chaos, as it did when I was born. Now, with my loved ones and my loyal allies, I face a new challenge unlike any before. And I'm not sure if this time we can win. Star Wars Vector Prime by R.A. Salvatore, the first novel of the new Jedi Order. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode 471, The New Jedi Order. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Carl LeClaire, and with me for the first time ever in the Wampa's Lair is my good friend, Dr. Tyler Orm. What's up, Tyler? How are you, my friend? I am doing very well. I am excited to be on here. I have a confession for you that I haven't actually told you ever in person. I've never listened to the podcast. I've always wanted to, and I'm excited to now be on it before I actually hear it. <laughs> what a what a what a wonderful way to say I support my friend, except I've never listened to their project. <laughs> oh no, I don't support my friends. Don't read anything into what Carl just said. I'm about just me. joking. Um, so Tyler and I have been friends for several years. We met. Uh, years ago, playing X-Wing by Fantasy Flight Games uh, in the basement of a gaming store. And we've been Star Wars buddies for years now. Uh, of course, all, any of you who are a regular of the show, you know my buddy Greg. Greg, Tyler, and I, we, we run in a little Star Wars crew here in Boston. And Tyler, you recently did an entire Jaina Solo reread because Jaina Solo is your favorite Star Wars character. Um and actually reread all 19 books of the new Jedi Order series not that long ago. Is that isn't that right? Yeah, so I actually ended up doing 53 out of what was originally intended to be a 59 book Jaina Solo reread. So I have read way too many Star Wars books to the point that I gave up, which is never a thing I've done on Star Wars before. Um, so I ended up reading uh, basically the Corellian trilogy, and then I did all of the Young Jedi Knight books, which were my original introduction to Jaina Solo. I still love them, even though they're young adult. Um, but then I ended up doing all 19 books of the New Jedi Order. Um, the Joiner King or whatever those books were called um, and then the nine books that came after I always forget which one was that Fate of the Jedi Leg- is the nope. next Legacy of the Forces and then Legacy Fate of, of the Jedi. Force yeah. yeah and then I started Fate of the Jedi only made it a few books in and was a little Star Wars booked out but yes I just <laughs> finished reading far too much Star Wars within the past like six months or so yeah so um, for for all of you tuning in this is going to be kind of a general discussion of the new Jedi Order series um i every may i like to spend the entire month of may it's it's kind of my unofficial star wars month and i like to spend the whole month just reading star wars books so i asked tyler um back in april i was like all right can you pick the four or five essential reads of the new jedi order because i'd love to at least read some of that um and tyler you picked um obviously vector prime uh star by star dark journey 
and unifying force kind of gave me those four. And then as I was reading, I was enjoying them so much. I ended up adding Trader by Matthew Stover and Destiny's Way. Um, so I've only read a fraction of these books. So I, I want to be upfront with that, that I don't I don't know the ins and outs of every single 19 book because I've only read six of them. Um, but I feel like I got the pretty much general gist of it. I really enjoyed this series, and I asked Tyler if he'd be willing to come on and just have a general discussion. So whether or not you're a Star Wars Legends person, um, you know we, we will get into some spoiler territory from the New Jedi Order. Obviously, this series has been wrapped almost for 20 years now, uh, so this stuff has been circulating for a long time. But if, if you're like, oh, I really want to read this series and I don't want to be spoiled – Come back to this at a later date because uh, we, we'll probably get into some plot details as, as we have this conversation. But even if you've never read any of the New Jedi Order, um, we're, try- we're really hoping to just kind of keep this as a general conversation about kind of some of the big things that happened in it, um, how it shaped Star Wars Legends, how it reshaped Star Wars Legends, and even uh, some of the, the some of the elements from these stories that were kind of pulled into the sequel trilogy because I think you do see some of this stuff in the sequel trilogy, whether it was intentional or not, it, it's still there. Um, so, you know, hopefully you'll, you'll enjoy the conversation that we're going to have. Um, now, it, Tyler, remind me, you had never read new Jedi order before you started this Janus, just this Jaina reread. Is that right? So I was basically in high school or middle school when New Jedi Order was coming out. So I had picked up some of the books here and there. I definitely, when I was in in high school, had read um, like Vector Prime, Star by Star, uh, Traitor, Dark Journey, kind of like the core books. But I definitely hadn't picked up all of the books. I probably kind of did what you did, maybe six or seven of the main ones that I saw on the shelf at the bookstore. But as far as reading most of the books, yeah, probably about two-thirds of it was brand new to me when I reread it. And honestly, I was impressed by how consistent it was, given that generally, um, I think we can all agree, Legends books, while sometimes wonderful, also have some real low points to go with those high points. (laughs) They sure do. Uh, And and I was telling Tyler a couple months back, I reread the new, my favorite favorite, um, old Legends series was the Jedi Academy trilogy by Kevin J. Anderson, which was published in, uh, I believe, 1994. And uh, it's the story, essentially, of Luke rebuilding the Jedi Order, creating the Jedi Academy on Yavin 4. I loved, loved, loved those books when I was a, when I was a kid. And when I reread them just a f- two months ago, I was like, oh, man, I'm going to let the memory of this book stay with me because they're not good. <laughs> like, they just they don't hold up and, and no shade on anybody if you still love them. Um, they're just very poorly written books. And I think something I've, I've loved having conversations with you about, Tyler, just in the last uh, several months is just even looking at the difference between some of these old legends books in the new canon. And uh, just generally, this is obviously a, a, a vast generalization, but I would say a lot of those pre new Jedi order books from essentially heir to the empire in 91 through, you know, 1998, a lot of those stories were just really plot driven stories. Han, Luke and Leia are essentially the same kind of cardboard cutout characters that entire decade. Um, and they get kind of boring and stale in my opinion. And, and I think the one thing that's, wonderful about the new canon um, is they're really investing in good authors who are telling very strong character stories that also happen to have good plots. Um, But I think New Jedi Order was kind of a a new renaissance in Star Wars literature. Um, And the whole point of New Jedi Order was to kind of... uh, 
deal with some of the issues that a lot of fans were having with the old Legends canon. And one of the common complaints was we're kind of sick of the story of the New Republic against the Imperial Remnant, right? It was, it was a story that yeah. was told for a decade straight. Um, and there, there didn't feel to be any stakes. Again, there was very one-dimensional characters of Han, Luke, and Leia. So with the New Jedi Order, they did bring in George Lucas. They sat down with a group of storytellers with George and were really committed to telling a new type of story. And George's biggest uh, piece of advice to these creators was be original. Do something outside of the box of the movies. Um, and essentially the way that that shook out was they they decided early on they wanted to kill a major character right away because they wanted to make the stakes feel real. And the initial desire from the creators of the series was to actually kill Luke in the first book. But George said, no, you cannot kill Luke. Um, and you also cannot kill R2 and 3PO. It's funny that those were the three George said could not be killed. So everybody else was up for grabs and they they chose Chewbacca. Um, George gave the OK. Um, and then the other big piece of advice that George Lucas had on this series was is they wanted to make Anakin Solo, the youngest Solo child, kind of the, the protagonist of the, the entire series. But George said, no, I'm just about to write the prequels. That's all about Anakin Skywalker. I don't want another Anakin story in this. Be more original. So they decided to make Jason kind of the central piece, the central character of the New Jedi Order. Um, so that's just some fun backstory for all of all of y'all, um, in case you're wondering how this came to be. Um, and then, of course, Tyler, I think the most significant piece of the New Jedi Order is our villains in the Yuuzhan Vong. They are a very different type of villain. And again, it was really trying to push away from doing the story of the New Republic against the Imperial Remnant. And um, what's really interesting is the Yuuzhan Vong were actually inspired by ancient myths about the Aztecs and Mayans. Um, and then they just gave them this very zealot like religious standpoint. Um, and Tyler, I'm curious if you ever thought about this while reading reading these books. But all of these books came out. Um, yes, Vector Prime came out in 99. So it was before the September 11th attack. Um, but many of much of the series came out after, you know, the war yeah. on terror began that George Bush declared. And. Um, I felt like the Yuuzhan Vong in later books really started to become kind of uh, uh, a Star Warsian version of Al Qaeda um, and kind of these you know religious uh, zealots, um, and and I thought yeah. that was really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see the the religious zealot story. I think to me, what's so interesting about the Yuuzhan Vong is that they take what you're describing, this sort of story of you know. Uh, religious or a religious group that has, you know, beliefs that put them at odds with the rest of this galaxy, but they put it in a very different kind of perspective than we're typically used to seeing, where normally when I think we see a lot of kind of these religious stories with zealotry, the story is very much about, like, how do people break out from that? And with the Yuuzhan Vong, it's not until maybe, like, book 12 or 13 of this series that we really start to get anything even remotely resembling a Yuuzhan Vong character who we can, you know, feel for or who we want to see kind of break out of that religious mold. And so I feel like it's a little bit different, right? A lot of the stories that we see about these sort of, you know, religious zealotry groups, the, the resolution that we want at the end of that story is the true zealots are isolated and, the, and those who are misled by them are forgiven in some way. And that is not the Yuuzhan Vong story we get at all. Yeah, that's a good point. 
Um, and I, I just, I still to this day, and even after reading, you know, kind of this abridged, uh, this abridged read through, I still not, I'm still not crazy about the Yuuzhan Vong. I think they're a very, they're a very odd fit for Star Wars. But all at the same time, I appreciate the originality of the Yuuzhan Vong. Um, again, yeah. especially in '99, it got us out of that that kind of stale mode of the Imperial Remnant. It was something totally new and fresh, and I loved that they were extra galactic. Uh, species they were they were from the unknown regions so you know you you had this new republic forming you have this this very young jedi order starting to form everything is essentially coming into place you know all, all the all the good things that they want on endor have finally have come into their fullness and then boom you get this totally alien um race that comes in and just shakes up the entire story. I, I, so while while the intricacies of the Yuuzhan Vong I find a bit odd for Star Wars, I do appreciate the spirit of the Yuuzhan Vong and what they represent for the story. Um, curious how, yeah. how they sit for you, though. So I'll actually say the first half of this series, I largely kind of agreed with you. My take on Star Wars generally is that I've I've seen the original trilogy. I love the original trilogy. I want you to do something different. And so when I saw the Yuuzhan Vong, I had the same response you had. I'm like, great, let's shake it up. And then after a couple books, I'm like, ooh, I don't know if this feels Star Warsy enough. But for me, and maybe this is just my attachment to the twins and Jaina in particular, but as soon as we start getting into the Yuzhan Vong beliefs about twins and the place of twins and especially the tension between living twins in Yuzhan Vong society, that really kind of set things off for me in a way where it felt a little bit more like a grounded culture where some of the things that were happening kind of lined up interestingly with the Star Wars universe, whereas previously it had just been everything is so alien and so unlike what we've seen, there there was no real way to kind of bridge the gap. I thought that mythology around the twins, though, really helped me kind of get into that society. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, well, and so this is just going to be a very free flowing conversation at this point. Um, that, 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 that reality of the way they look at twins and, and they really Yuzhan Vong society really kind of venerates twins because it's something very rare in their culture. Um, so it's neat because they're tapping into that, that, that mythos from the original trilogy and it's clearly existent here with, with Jason and Jaina. And what's so interesting is, and this is, this is, it it rears its head multiple times through, through several of the books though, is this reality that they want Jason and Jaina to fight one another. They want them to fight to the death. Whoever wins will be kind of the, the victor type figure and, of course, when the New Jedi Order ended, there were no hard plans about how to take the story forward. But then that the next big series, Legacy of the Force, which is a nine-book series that followed a few years later, is ultimately the story of Jason Solo becoming Darth Kytus. And yeah, it leads to this confrontation between Jaina and Jason. So I think it's really neat that the New Jedi Order kind of planted that seed that there could ever be this kind of animosity between Jason and Jaina. Yeah, and for those of you who aren't as familiar with the Yuuzhan Vong, kind of their way of viewing twins is that twins are so rare in their society that when twins are born, it's kind of like an auspicious thing. And what they do is they actually have the twins 
battle each other with the winner of this deadly combat basically being blessed by the gods and having the power of both of these kind of divine twins and in fact kind of the main villain of the series emperor shimra is himself a twin who killed his twin and so when they find out that jason and jaina are not only twins but twins who were born from a twin it completely sets their society crazy and what i love about what you're describing carl is that the moral of the the new Jedi Order story to some degree is that the Yuzhan Vong have kind of rejected peace. They've rejected symbiosis, both in terms of the way that they treat twins by murdering them, but also in the way that they've like treated their ancestral homeland and a lot of the people from their own galaxy. And so the fact that the, the Yuzhan Vong are defeated by these two twins saying, no, we won't destroy each other, we'll work together, is such a beautiful message that then just crumbles, like you say, nine books later. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, and, and you know, you, you bring up that, that, that point about symbiosis. And it's funny. So the, the original publication date of Vector Prime, the first book of the series, is October of 1999. So a few months after Phantom Menace came out, and one of the big themes of Phantom Menace is this idea of symbi- you know, symbiosis, this idea of the Naboo and the, yeah. the Gungans, um, and they're not living in symbiosis. And here you have this Yuzhan Vong uh, race who uh, they kind of pollute this idea. Um, they, I don't, there's something about the Yuzhan Vong and, and to kind of cross streams here that they remind me in some ways of the Borg from the Star Trek universe, right? The Borg, yeah. and I'm no, I'm no Star Trek guy, so I'm not a, 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 an expert in any way on this. But the thing that I've always found fascinating about in the Borg is that they just they show up, they want to conquer and assimilate everyone. That's kind of what the Vong are all about as well, is they want to mold literal worlds. They, it's called Vong forming. They want to you know, take these actual worlds and form them for themselves. And they, and they even try to do this with people. I mean, Vector Prime, we get that right at the beginning where they capture a young Jedi Knight and they, they're essentially f- trying to force them into becoming a believer in the Vong. And it, it, it ultimately kills that character. Um, but so much of the Yuzhan Vong... Uh, mission is to really just make everybody be exactly like them um which is also you know that's also the reality of zealot religious groups i mean you know you can look at al-qaeda and the way they their demented understanding of islam uh you can look at very very hard right evangelical christians here in the states that do the same thing that dement the message of christianity into something very grotesque um so i mean we see this in our own world and i think star wars in a lot of ways is at its best when it's a reflection of our own world um and the yuzhan vonger were kind of presenting this at a time when our culture was faced with uh very aggressive um in violent forms of religion. Um, and I, I appreciate that that's what the Yuzhan Vong kind of are. Um, and you made a point about how it takes a while into the series. And again, I, 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 I can't say exactly when that happened because I read only a fraction of the stories, but it, it took a while for me to care about any of these characters, uh, the Yuzhan Vong characters. I mean, um, because initially, it, uh, in, in at least Vector Prime, and then I did Star by Star right after, which is a huge story. <laughs> uh, I skipped over yes, a lot. Yes. Um, but they're, they're 
kind of just I mean, that's just kind of what they are. They're there to conquer. They're there to kind of take over. Um, what did you think about this idea of them having gods? Like, how did that fit into the Star Wars world in your mind? Yeah, I, I think it's something that's very different for Star Wars, right? Because it has always been a world that's very spiritual, but in the past in no way religious, I don't think we could say, right? The closest thing we get is the Jedi. They're very similar in some ways to a religious order, but it's it's the Force. It's, it's not gods. Um, I'll be honest, when I read it, it never rubbed me the wrong way. I think we have seen, like, societies in Star Wars that have something either akin to gods or at least something kind of like religion. You know, I it, in the same way that it didn't especially rub me wrong when the Ewoks thought C-3PO was a god, it mm. didn't seem especially odd to me that the Yuuzhan Vong would have gods. I think to me what's so interesting is that a lot of the theme of the later books to some degree is about how did the Yuuzhan Vong religion get as perverted as it did from its original intentions and did the people who were supposedly speaking for the gods actually speak for the gods and I think to me that's what's so interesting about that story is a lot of times I feel like in fantasy or sci-fi when we see these like sort of religious cults they're built around you know a dying star or you know an evil you know beyond the veil somewhere or they're based on real things with the Yuuzhan Vong I don't know whether at the end of the story we actually know whether their religion has any basis in reality or not, which is, is very different from a lot of the kind of mythological stories we often see in these sort of fantasy sci-fi worlds. Um, what did you think about their religion? Just because I yeah. haven't heard you kind of talk about this much. And well, and, and I, I, I can't say much because I'll be honest, I didn't, I, even the books I read, I skimmed a lot of the Yuuzhan Vong central chapters because I just didn't find their story ultimately that compelling. Um, so from my very limited perspective, um, kind of with you, I think it, 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 it certainly can make sense. I mean, we've, it, it's not, not the first time ever we've heard about gods in star Wars. Um, I, I, I just, I did find them like weirdly this worldly with the way they saw the gods. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, to your point, like, especially because Unifying Force, you know, the final book of the series, we really get a lot, at this point, like, a lot of the answers happen, you know, or a lot of the questions we have get answered. And the thing that I thought was really fascinating about the ultimate trajectory of the Yuuzhan Vong is they, we kind of get this creation myth for them, which I thought was really fascinating. This idea that they, they all kind of, their their culture came from this planet called Zenoma Seacott. Um, that's how I pronounce the word. I don't know if that's what it is. Um, but it's this living planet um, that the, the Yuuzhan Vong initially, initially inhabited. Um, but there was this group of the Yuuzhan Vong who started to become very focused on war and, and violence. And they ultimately are stripped of the force and kicked off the planet. So it just, it was like, oh my gosh, this is the Garden of Eden. This is original sin, right? Like being cast out of yeah. paradise. Um, so the Yuuzhan Vong ultimately, they just kind of, the people that kind of declare the gods ultimately shape the gods. And this is, I mean, this is true of human history that God is always shaped by cultures <laughs> um, and people. Um, and the Yuuzhan Vong that we meet in this series are kind of the, the offspring of that, that, you know, <laughs> original sin in a sense. So they're kind of cast out of the, their birthplace and now they just roam the galaxy looking for a place to inhabit. 
Um, and the thing that they idolize, which ultimately got them kicked out of paradise, is violence. Um, so it's it's kind of neat seeing that that even story kind of come full circle by unifying forces that um, they kind of the survivors of the war are actually invited back to Zenoma Seacott to go back out into the unknown regions and to, to settle into this planet in a, in a symbiotic relationship once again. Yeah. And I think that's what, what's so interesting to me about this story is that it's very much a story of coming together and of, you know, how do we live in peace with one another, which is not the resolution we have traditionally gotten in Star Wars stories, where usually something ends with something blowing up. And so I appreciate that ending, even if I think it is a little bit more of a, you know, kind of a philosophical place for a Star Wars story to end. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, to, to kind of change gears a bit, because some of the... The Yuuzhan Vong were the less exciting part of this this series to me, so I want to focus on some of the other aspects, the more Star Warsian aspects, um, and kind of the first big thing that stood out to me in this series is Luke Skywalker. Kind of at the beginning of the story, um, is contemplating recreating the Jedi Council. Right, he's he's trying to figure out a way to bring about. There's kind of this there's kind of this diaspora of Jedi Knights throughout the galaxy. It's not a massive order, but um, they're kind of becoming more and more spread out and more and more people are just doing their own thing. And Luke really wants to kind of centralize the Jedi and the kind of the, the main characters he kind of runs up against in conflict with this whole idea is of course, his nephew, Jason Solo and Kip Duran. Um, I love both Jason and Kip and uh, weirdly find myself kind of siding with them over Luke because Luke is Luke is all about central power and they're more about democratization of the Jedi in a sense. Um, So that's kind of the central Jedi storyline that we're introduced to that does does come to a conclusion by the end of these 19 books again wild it takes 19 books to get there (laughs) um but i i really appreciate this this kind of trajectory of of luke's story and the story of the jedi and what are they who are the jedi supposed to be in this new world and and obviously this is going to become a a very quick challenge because luke is asking this question before the yuzhan vong show up so it's what do we do with this Jedi? I want to create a Jedi Council. I want it. I want us to be kind of aligned with the New Republic, um, right? He's kind of trying to recapture what the prequel Jedi were doing. Um, whereas you have somebody like Kip Duran and his and his nephew who are like, no, no, no. The Jedi should just be out there. They should be marshals of peace and justice throughout the galaxy, kind of doing their own thing. Um, and of course, then the Yuuzhan Vong show up, and it just it, it's going to continue to make this question even harder. But uh, you know, what are your thoughts on just kind of that general, you know, Jedi <laughs> um, storyline? Yeah, I I I agree with kind of the the general formation you have of it. The one thing that I think is really interesting is that the writers are really smart because they lay out very clearly that. I think this is a kind of like exactly like you said, it's tension between centralized power versus decentralized power, right? Do we want one group deciding what everyone is doing or do we want everyone kind of making decisions for themselves? And they set this up as like a very kind of 
obvious positive Luke might be a little bit wrong kind of story. And then immediately they make the advocate for it, Kip Duran, who I agree is one of my favorite characters in terms of like, you know, Legends Jedi. But at the beginning of this story, he is essentially flying around in the Outer Rim killing pirates for absolutely no reason. And it makes it a little bit difficult to kind of get on his side with it just because of who's doing the advocacy on one side. (laughs) And that becomes more and more apparent throughout the first half of the series where Kip gets more and more aggressive and reckless in battling the Yuzhan Vong. And so to me, I think that's what this story does a really good job of, of basically telling us... Luke might be wrong philosophically, but Kip, you know, he's not exactly who we want deciding the future of the Jedi, at least in the case of where he's at in this series. Yeah, that's a great point. And and, and even Kip and Jason have, uh, they both disagree with Luke, but they have different disagreements even. So there's even yeah. a split there. So Kip, like you said, especially when the Yuuzhan Vong show up is, let's go to war. Like we, this is our job as Jedi is to, to protect the peace, to protect the safety of the galaxy. These are aggressors. We need to kill them. Whereas Jason is, he's, he's more of this kind of pacifist where it's like, no, no, no. Jedi should be nonviolent. Like we should just, you know, kind of take a step back from everything. So even Jason and Kip have very differing perspectives about this, this disagreement with Luke. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I, I think it's, it's, it's great because I think where the storyline kind of takes us. And again, these, these stories are all being published as the prequel trilogy is coming out and unifying force actually, I believe does wrap before revenge of the Sith hits theaters. Um, so it, it, it's wild to think Tyler that 19 books came out in a matter of six years. <laughs> Like that's that's outrageous to begin with. Um, whereas today, right, we get a we get a Star Wars adult yeah. no, adult novel maybe every three months, um, which I I am very okay with that pacing. Man, New Jedi Order was relentless. Um, I just can't imagine coordinating it. Like it's one thing yeah. to have nineteen books come out in that amount of time, but to have nineteen books come out in that amount of time that all reference each other means that they must have had like four drafts going at the same time that were being like altered depending on what someone else wrote. It's crazy to think about. Yeah, you're. Yeah, you're, that's so true. Um, and, and it does sound like from from some of the research I did that this was a big kind of like like I mean like like Lucasfilm has today. I mean, there was a very big story group that met early on and, and really hammered out some of these details. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's just so fascinating to me that. Um, what this story ultimately becomes then with the role of the Jedi is as this Yuuzhan Vong war kind of uh, continues on for, for months and then into years, you essentially see the Jedi aligning themselves more and more and more with the military of the new Republic. And the new Republic is also renamed into the galactic Alliance. So we have this political shift, which we can talk about in a minute if we want. Um, But the Jedi are kind of giving themselves more and more over to very direct involvement with the military, which is obviously mirrored in what exactly happens at the end of Attack of the Clones. You have the Jedi yeah. essentially becoming the the generals of the Grand Army of the Republic. So it's fascinating to see that as these stories are being published, they're clearly being influenced by the story George was telling. Um, and we see the Jedi becoming more and more, in a sense, militaristic. 
Yeah, and, and actually, if we think about kind of the point you're making right now in the context of the philosophical debate we were just talking about, you highlighted kind of the, the differing opinions between Kip and Jason. And that, I think, is kind of what leads to what you're describing, that increased militarization, because kind of towards the end of this 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 series of books, we basically see kind of Kip and Jason drift a little bit more towards Luke, Luke's perspective without giving in fully. And the balance that they kind of end up settling on is that the Jedi themselves won't have an especially strong central force, but they will to some degree defer to the, the government or the Galactic Alliance in terms of where and how their force is being applied. And then as we get into the next series, it's very much a conflict between Jason and Luke about how much do you let the government dictate what's going on. And so I think it's interesting that that balance kind of shifts as far as where the middle of the debate is, and you almost compromise your way to some really bad stuff is kind of the story of a lot of these Legends books. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it also has me thinking about uh, the – and obviously this was obviously not in the mind of anybody during the New Jedi Order publishing period because this was years before this happened. But with the current run of the High Republic, the High Republic really does it's, – it's, you know, it's meant to be the golden age of the Republic, the golden age of the Jedi. And in that first book, Light of the Jedi – so slight spoiler here, Tyler, because I know you haven't do- dove in yet. Um, no worries. Very, very slight. Um, but it, it does establish the relationship between the Jedi and the Republic as one of – symbiosis really more than anything like the jedi are not beholden to the republic but they certainly work in concert with it so they're not what the jedi are when we get to the prequels where essentially they do the will of the senate so there is that separation but they're they're very well balanced and i find by the conclusion of new jedi order that's like you said this is kind of where luke takes them is we kind of get to this balance point of we will of course be involved with the matters of galactic importance but we will also be our own governing body and we will also listen to the will of the force. Um, so I do think that's by the end of the series, that's that's really what they're thinking about. I mean, the series is called New Jedi Order. So they're and the thing I love is that every one of these storytellers is trying to kind of raise that question of what does it mean to be a Jedi Order? And I think that they're asking that question while contrasting it with the movies coming out of the time, which is the prequel trilogy of this is not how you be the Jedi. You do not, you know, you do not become this yeah. militarized force at the whims of the, of the, the government. Um, but rather it's something else. And I, and I love that new Jedi order really grapples with that question of who are the Jedi supposed to be. Um, and that's, that's so much of the central conflict between Luke and Jason, especially in the early part of the series. But then that relationship between Luke and Jason really shifts after Traitor, which um, you and I have talked a lot about this in, in the, the last couple of months when we've been hanging out. But um, you and I both really love the book Traitor and Dark Journey. Um, Traitor, which is essentially the story of Jason and Dark Journey is the story of, of Jaina. So right star by star is kind of this huge huge epic of a piece much too long of a book but a very good book all the same and it's ultimately the story of coruscant falling to the yuzhan vong but also the death of anakin solo um and then you get these two books right after star by star that deal with the aftermath for jason and jaina jason gets captured by the yuzhan vong so we get to see what that experience is like for him and dark journey is the story of jaina trying to come to terms with she believes Jason is dead and Anakin is dead and she kind of goes into this dark place. Um, and the thing that I appreciate specifically about uh, Jason's story after this kind of turn of events 
is the way Luke relates to him. Luke, when he finally reunites with Jason in Destiny's way, um, understands that Jason is a totally different person than he was when he went on that initial mission in Star by Star. And he ultimately, I actually really appreciate the way that Luke relates to Jason and understands that Jason is destined for something very big. And he understands that Jason has a relationship with the force that he himself does not have. And he really encourages Jason to explore that. And this is where, and as far as I know, and I don't know if maybe you know otherwise, Tyler, but as far as I know, this is in the new Jedi order series is the first time we ever get the words living force and unifying force. Those Qui-Gon Jinn does say something about the living force and Phantom Menace, but that's it. We had never heard that concept before. And this book series really kind of expounds on this, this different, these different aspects of the force that the living force and then the unifying force. And Luke understands that he has always been kind of a proponent of the living force, but he understands that he never really has a deep understanding or connection to the unifying force, but Jason does. And he kind of uh, yields to Jason's expertise in saying, Jason, I want you to continue to explore what the force is and what our relationship with it. So without getting into all the nuts and bolts and nitty gritty of that, it's it's just really interesting to see that that relationship of Luke and Jason really does change by the end of the series where where Luke really respects who Jason is and 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 trusts him to to move forward in a different way. Um so well and I think actually that relationship is very much shaped by something that happens in just the book earlier um which you kind of reminded me about as you were talking about this because Luke's response to Jason, I think, is very much uh, shaped by Luke's interactions with Jaina. Because earlier in the series, before they go on the mission in Star by Star, um, Jaina really was kind of the balance point between Kip and and Luke. They were kind of almost competing over, you know, her you know, agreement with their philosophical arguments, but also literally who she would be fighting with, where she would be located during the war. And actually at the end of Dark Journey, Jaina figures out kind of her her place, you know, we'll probably talk about, you know, her grief in the dark side and that sort of stuff in a bit, but she also ends up siding with Kip at the end of that book. Despite the fact that Kip has pretty horribly betrayed her a few books earlier, she agrees to be Kip's... Um, apprentice basically because he took a completely hands-off approach during her period of grief and during her period of flirting with the dark side and so i think luke is actually learning a bit from kip there and he's saying look i know you know this kid is hurting and the last time i really tried to get involved in that it didn't go great let me see if i can do what kip did and i think this is actually one of the few places we see luke grow a little bit because like you were saying prior to this he had kind of just been an unchanging cardboard cutout yeah, <laughs> he he really was. Um, and, you know, I know, again, we, we've talked about this a lot together. And, and I realize when I say this, all of you listening, you're like, we've never heard these conversations, which, of course, you haven't. Um, but right. That to me, the most compelling part of this entire series, though, was essentially the story of Jason and Jaina and Anakin and the young Jedi Knight. So Tenel Ka, um Lobaka, Zek, Kip, you know, so kind of these these characters that were have all been introduced in that that initial early stage of Legends, they really get fleshed out a lot in New Jedi Order. And those are my favorite parts of this book. Han, Luke, and Leia, they're fine. Um, at points, they're boring. 
in my honest Fair opinion. Um, but I really think that, and, and I, and I love that this is what that, that series is trying to do is it is trying to guide us into a new era of characters and storytelling. And, um, all the really big events of the series really do circulate around the solo children more than anybody else. Yeah. And I think it's, as we're thinking about this series in the context of the rest of legends canon, I think it's really important to recognize how different that was than anything that came before, because up to this point, I'm pretty sure the, the solo twins and Anakin had basically just been in young adult books or minor side characters in other, in other books. I think the Corellian trilogy was maybe their previous only other major involvement in a series. And they were like nine or something. And their role was to stumble around in some machine. So the fact that we took these characters from zero to protagonists and it really works even better than the original trilogy characters is, you know, kind of amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I do think that they did a great job of kind of honoring some of the things about those early characters, specifically Jason and Jaina, right? Jason's ability to bond with different uh, different um, animals and stuff. That was a huge part of the Young Jedi Knight series. That becomes a huge part of his story in New Jedi Order, his ability to bond with the, the Vong brain, right, on Coruscant and, and ultimately shift the tide of the war. So these early things about Jason come into play here. Jaina's piloting and mechanical skills are, an, are a massive part of, of her story here in the New Jedi Order. Um, and they, they reference several times in the series Kip Duran's... Um, Exploits from the Jedi Academy trilogy, which is where he steals the Sun Crusher and goes and blows up entire planets. Um, So he is a very conflicted character who carries this guilt of these horrible acts. Um, And and I think that was something very, like you said, Tyler, this was something also very new for Star Wars literature at the time. Because, you know, you have at at the end of the Jedi Academy trilogy, Kip Duran commits these terrible atrocities but ultimately it's just like well luke forgives him and therefore the galaxy does and everything is okay um which is fine that was the era of star wars storytelling in the mid 90s but here you have a character who he's clearly really full of guilt and and we get introduced the idea that a lot of the galaxy doesn't like this guy because of the atrocities he committed you know a decade earlier so it's it's really fascinating that they they take elements of earlier legends and just make them more mature. Um, yeah. And, it, and but, almost every book in this series has at least one really cool deep cut legends call out. It is really impressive how often like Thraken Saul solo or one of the random instructors from the young Jedi Knight series shows up and does something cool. I was very impressed by kind of the level of effective fan service that exists in new Jedi order that I didn't catch the first time around. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, that's a perfect way to put it. Cause it is effective fan service. It's there for like anyone who's read those books. You're like, Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. And if you haven't, it's just like, whatever, it's just a sentence, <laughs> you know, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't deteriorate the story in any way. Um, yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, so I'd love to just talk about some of the big moments from, from this, from these books and these series. Um, and, and I'd love to hear some of yours. Some of the first ones that come to mind for me, and this is obviously indicative of the type of star Wars fan I am. Um, I love big force moments. Um, but we get, we get really, uh, our, the, again, from the, the small amount of books I read, but 
one of the first big moments that stood out to me was and the the moment when Anakin Solo dies, um, and yeah. the way he kind of bonds to the Force, and we're kind of told that he becomes this um, you know enigma of light. He becomes the Force incarnate almost, um, and is just you know laying down the law as as he kind of gives up his life to save his friends and his family. Um, you know, it's, it's just this huge moment that reads really, really well. Um, and we see this a few times in the series. I think again, from the limited books, I read Anakin's the first one, we get it something similar to that in trader with, with Ganner. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, where he kind of gives his life up to protect Jason so that Jason can finish infiltrating the world brain. Uh, we get a moment like that with Luke in the final book. Um, so you kind of these big epic Star Warsian moments, um, yeah. but that are ultimately all about and, and every single one of these moments, these Jedi kind of come to this understanding that they 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 hit these pinnacle moments because they learn to surrender fully to the force um i mean it's very return of the jedi luke um and it's also very um rise of skywalker ray um and i and i love i love those big moments yeah i mean those moments stand out to me of the ones that you listed ganner just it kills me especially because a couple of books later i don't know whether you read this i can't remember whether it was in some of the um, some of the stuff in the final prophecy or the unifying force, or if it was earlier, but there's a number of scenes where Naminor um, kind of goes into the underground of what was Coruscant and now is Yuzhantar or whatever they rename the planet, and he's meeting with like the the heretics and the shamed ones in the Yuzhan Vong you know society and basically trying to start almost like a counter religion that reveres the Jedi instead of hating them and. Ganner becomes like this rallying cry for these group of oppressed Yuzhan Vong. He becomes almost like a, a cult hero kind of figure for the for the stand that he makes protecting Jason while he infiltrates the world brain. And just that the idea of like myth making around that kind of epic Star Wars moment. I loved that we saw that happen in world as far as out of world. Because to me, that was one of the things I loved the most about the sequel trilogy was getting to see people like Ray be excited about meeting these people from 20 years earlier and i felt like that kind of read so well for for ganner's kind of epic stand mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah ah uh, that that oh my gosh i love the 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 end for ganner and and trader um yeah and uh, jason and him they have this really I, I was really moved by this moment in a way that I, I there were a few moments in this series that really moved me as I was reading them and I didn't expect it. And I love that it happened. And this was one of those moments when Ganner and Jason kind of decide what they need to do. And uh, Jason kind of his his he and Ganner both agree that they never liked either one. Of, like they didn't like each other, you know, yeah. and Jason's like, I always thought you were a showboat. And Ganner's like, I always thought you were just overly in your head and dark. Um, yeah. And they, but they both agree that they had a place in, in the story. And Jason really, they have this really beautiful moment where they shake hands and they respect who they both are and that they both had something unique and wonderful to offer to the galaxy. And, and and Ganner goes out and becomes this legend in the Yuzhan Vong society, yeah. which is also really fascinating. And and uh, and obviously, I didn't get all of the intricacy of this this plotline because I didn't read all the final books. But 
Um, even when you pick up in Destiny's Way, and then of course in Unifying Force, you have this movement among what are called the Shamed Ones in the Yuzhan Vong, where they kind of idolize the the Jedi, and specifically through the person of Ganner. Um, they saw him as this kind of heroic character, and they saw it as a way of breaking free of uh, this very rigid society the Yuzhan Vong have. So it was really fascinating to see that somebody like Ganner, kind of a you know what it present in a lot of ways presents as kind of just like a just a background Jedi becomes this leader in this subversive movement and among the Yuzhan Vong themselves. Yeah, and I think that to me is the the sort of thing that this series does well is it gives us new ways of seeing existing characters where every kind of side character Jedi has at least one moment where we see them differently, right? Like, for example, um, can never remember their names because they're all so much the same. The the Sabatines, there's like Saba. Oh, yeah, and I a, know. Yeah, I can uh, never remember them the, all. The reptiles, yeah. right? Yeah, like. To me, they're always basically just the reptiles, but we get some really cool hive brain moments in this series. And I think that's something that this series does so well, is it it understands what appeals about each of these minor characters, and it, it knows how to make them shine. And I think Ganner is like the perfect example of that. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what a... He's so great. So great in that, in that scene. Um so I'm yeah. curious about you, Carl, other yeah. than like the, those big force moments, was there any other thing like a, a, like a scene that you wish you could see on film, even though, you know, obviously this is a book series that will never make it on the big screen? I will say, I mean, and it's I mean, Vector Prime is a great book. Hard stop. You know, yeah. I, I would say, uh, I mean, I, I, I love Dark. I think Dark Journey and Trader will be my favorite books from the series just because they're such good character stories. But I think besides that, Vector Prime, for me, is the best book. And I think the scene of Chewie's death would be pretty epic to see on screen. Um, and I think even the way R.A. Salvatore writes the scene feels very yeah. feels very cinematic. Like, I can see it happening. And the emotion of Han. Right? Like, one of my favorite scenes in all of the sequel trilogy is... Chewbacca's reaction to Han being killed by Kylo Ren. You know, we just yeah. hear that roar of of sorrow and anger. Han is so emotional and so angry and so broken by Chewie's death in Vector Prime and the way he lashes out at Anakin um, specifically. But to be able to see that epic moment of them looking back at Chewie as he stands there as the moon comes crashing into the planet, yeah. I think would be pretty damn cinematic and and pretty wild to see. Um, so obviously I want to give you space if you want to say anything about that, but also curious what, what other, like, what are some big moments that stood out to you? Yeah. So if you think, I mean, obviously most of mine are going to be Jaina moments because yeah. I love Jaina solo, um, in vector prime. One of my favorite Jaina moments of all time is Jaina navigating the asteroid field. So there's a scene in vector prime where Lando is basically running this, you know, like it's a space station that services a bunch of, you know, pirates and people who are fighting pirates and all of those sorts of things. And he sets up this course with specially modified tie fighters where you go through an asteroid field 
And like the world record when they show up is like six minutes of surviving in the asteroid field. And then we get to see all of the solo kids go through it. And it's like Jason gets eight minutes and then Anakin gets 10 and they're also impressed. And then Jaina goes in and just like without even trying knocks off like 27 minutes or something like that. And it's just, it's such a cool moment and it's really well written from her perspective. And we see what to me I think works really well. Every other kind of Jedi in this series, like you said, gets a moment where they're one with the Force. Anakin gets it in his death scene. Luke and Jason both get it towards the end. But I feel like Jaina gets multiple moments in this series where she doesn't undergo that sort of like major spiritual, you know, midi-chlorian-fueled transformation, but she just is. And she is so well because she has the force and she has skill. And that to me is just a quintessential Jaina moment of her just being like, you think you can fly? No, no, no. Let me show you how it's done. <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> well, and, and she also, it's in this series where she's named Sword of the Jedi by Luke. Yeah, um, that was actually going to be the other moment that I brought up was the moment where she is named Sword of the Jedi, I think is just absolutely beautiful. Yeah, well... Do you want to say more? Um, so actually, uh, I have Wikipedia p- pulled up, and so I just need to tell you how beautiful this is. <laughs> what Luke says is, I name you the Sword of the Jedi. You are like tempered steel, purposeful and razor keen. Always you shall be in the front rank, a burning brand to your enemies, a brilliant fire to your friends. That's just gorgeous writing, setting aside how important of a moment it is for those characters. Yeah. Yeah, I I love this scene, and and it's I I it's awesome that you describe it as beautiful writing because I would because that's in Destiny's way, and I would yeah. say much of the writing in that book is not anything spectacular. Um, I would agree with you, John Walter, whatever his name is, he's fine. But but there's so much in that book that is great. Um, and I remember when I when I finished reading Dark Journey and Traitor, I was like, should I read Destiny's Way? Because it wasn't on my list. And you're like, well, there's some really big plot stuff in there, but it's nothing that you can't catch up on. And I ended up deciding to read it. And I'm very glad I did because there's so much good story in there, even if it's not yeah. the best written book. Um, in this scene where Luke essentially has this ceremony where he knights all of the young Jedi Knights because none of them have been officially knighted yet. Um, so yeah. Luke has this this moment where they're all knighted um, and he he kind of just, you know, he speaks to each sing each character individually and says something prolific to them. And Jaina's is the one after he says these words to her, we're told that Luke is like, where did that come from? And he realizes that it was essentially the force speaking through him, but he feels uncomfortable with it because he's like, I, yeah. I, I feel like I essentially just told her she's a weapon, <laughs> you know, um, and I thought that was like it was a really powerful scene. Um Yeah, well, and I and I think the the declaration that she is a weapon is is such a hard thing for Jaina to hear when her arc has very much been in these books about tempering herself, right? Like mm-hmm. Dark Journey ends with her being like, I don't think I'm evil, but I need Kip to keep me on the straight and narrow. And Kip's a tricky person to keep you on the straight and narrow. <laughs> so I think it for her to some degree have gone through this series learning that she's not just a soldier, that she's not just a weapon. And then to have Luke tell her, no, you are, is is really important for her from a character perspective. Yeah. Oh, and well, 
that obviously, it, and, and again, it, it, I don't think in this series they were purposely setting up what she'll become, especially in Fate of the Jedi, where she is the one who, it's her alone that can take down Darth Kytus, you know, Jason Solo's Sith persona. Yeah. Um, but this wasn't what they were thinking at the time. Um, why do you think that? But that, it works. Yeah. Yeah. And, and why do you think it works so well? Well, I think what it does is it it takes something that we have learned about this character and it flips it on its head, right? I feel like really good character work is when we get to see people who think they know what they are learn that they're not who they thought they were. And this is a really powerful moment for that because I think... It's the first time in a long time that Jaina feels kind of at peace with herself. You know, her brother is back. She's made peace with the fact that Anakin is dead. She's gotten over the dark side. At this point, I believe she's either retired or mostly retired from the military. She's back to primarily being a Jedi full time. Um, and she's kind of at a set place in her life. And so, you know, this is supposed to be like the culmination of everything for her. You know, I think she's expecting Luke to say, you did it. Congratulations. You are the best of us. And instead he says, all of those lessons you've learned, they don't matter. You don't get the ending that you've earned for yourself. And I think that's just such an interesting thing for that character to have to go to go through and then for her to slowly realize what it means in the next series. I think, you know, they, they almost set up a prophecy that no matter where they went with it next, she would have to have something interesting to think about. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And, and what's in, and you, you kind of then look at Jason's Jason's story in this whole series and it's ultimately his coming into his own is a is, is just like Jaina's story. It's a very dark one. I mean, he's he's held yep. captive by the Vong for months, tortured for months, and then has this very interesting, complicated, complex relationship with Vergaer, um, who is yep. a very very fascinating character. Um, and she's ultimately like we learn late, late, late um, that she is a Sith. Um, and that she is ultimately trying to shape Jason into being the future of the Sith. And it's funny because when he comes back, Luke sees him as being this future of the Jedi, but he's also being shaped into being something else. And, and we see Jason, especially after the events of Traitor and Star by Star, where he's made a certain level of peace with violence that he was certainly not at at the beginning of the new Jedi order, right? He's such a pacifist as it begins. But then by the end of it, he, he, it's not like he enjoys violence for violence sake, but he understands that it can have a, in his mind, a purpose, um, which clearly does set up what's going to become of him. And he, Verger is constantly telling him that he's the most gifted Jedi. Every time there's those moments in these books, it just makes me think of that scene in Attack of the Clones where Palpatine says to Anakin, you're the most powerful Jedi I've ever seen, even more powerful than Master Yoda. Right? He's being groomed. Jason is being groomed by Verger to be something he was never thought he would become. Um, And we see that he does have this tremendous power um, and there is a bit of arrogance to him with that power, which obviously will go to his head in the future series. 
Well, and I think that's what's so important about the difference between this knighting moment for Jason and the knighting moment for Jaina, right? Because Jason feels like he has come through his struggles. He's learned from Verger. He's learned from the Vong. And he is supremely confident in where he's at. And Luke confirms that, right? Luke basically is like, yes, you're the future of the Jedi. Verger was right. You're one of the best of us. Please go and do great things. And, you know, as someone who has been around some people who have never been doubted, that is a bad thing to do to a person, right? You need people to tell you no, it's important in your life. And so I think both Jason and Jaina enter the scene where they are being knighted, feeling like they have figured the world out and they know who they are and they're confident in their vision. And Jason is told, yes, you're right. And so he pursues that vision. And of course, it's been shaped by Verger. And so it's horrible. Jaina is told, no, you don't get everything you want. You're going to be the sword of the Jedi. The Force has declared it. And so when things get tough, she, in many cases, kind of defers to the will of the Force or almost says, the Force has declared me the sword. I have to be the sword. Whereas Jason is left to follow his own impulses and where they lead, which ends up being the dark side. Mm, yeah. good. That's a great point. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and something that something that gets established in New Jedi Order is that of the Solo children, apparently Anakin is the most powerful. He's the he's initially the kind of the spark of where the Jedi are supposed to go. So when especially when he dies, um, it really rattles Jason and Jaina in a very fundamental yeah. way where they like you've been saying, they have to really rethink who they are moving forward. Um and yeah, yeah. Oh, um, my goodness. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think where, where, where we can, where we can go next with this. Well, so to, yeah, go ahead. Can I actually just jump in? There's one more moment that I need to mention if we're talking through the series and it's not actually one that you read, but it's one that just caught me completely off guard. Um, if you are going to go back and reread these books, I think all of the ones that Carl read are absolutely the good ones. Um, the others that I would also throw in just while I'm here um, is the Agents of Chaos duology is lovely. Um, but what I was going to mention is the Enemy Lines duology, Rebel Dream and Rebel Stand, which I was expecting to hate because they are mostly wedge books. But... They're a really good Wedge story, y'all. Wedge, like, pulling off a, like, desperate Pyrrhic victory of having to hold out longer than anyone expects him to when the Vong invade a planet. It's a shockingly great story and has a couple of really cool, like, tactical military moments that stuck with me longer than some of the, like, big story character moments from other more substantial books. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely read the Wikipedia page for those two books just so I could you know right. uh, connect some dots as I moved forward. But um, that's fascinating to hear because because like you, when I was like, oh, these are just like I I have nothing against Wedge, but like X Wing yeah. combat battles or like military Star Wars stories in literature tend to bore me. So I was like, yeah, no thanks. I'll I'll definitely skip those. Um, so that's that's neat to hear. Um, and obviously, there's a lot of people out there that love specifically the Rogue Squadron series um, yeah. by Mike Stackpole. Um, and I, I I've always been kind of lukewarm on it because again, that usually get like 20 page dogfight scenes where I'm just like, I'm right. bored out of my mind. <laughs> um, well, and, and that 
that's what I really appreciate about that series is that I, I, I like you, I cannot read dogfights. They don't work for me on the page. I just don't enjoy them. But most of that story is very much like a, a cat and mouse military tactical story more than it is like the dogfight in the heat of the battle story, which I find a little bit more enjoyable to read. Mm, sure. Um, well, uh, I just just for the sake of we, I think we should mention at least to some degree Han, Luke, and Leia, right? They obviously are central characters in this book, and something, yeah, they exist. Yeah, and and that's sort of true. So Han's story is really one, especially in the initial half of him just running off and being really upset about Chewie's death and kind of ostracizing his family. Um, and eventually he comes back, and and Leia is there for him and helps him with that grief. Luke, I don't know. Luke is just he's a very I don't know. I, I there was nothing I read in the series found made me feel really compelled about Luke as a character, um, and 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 I think that that ultimately comes down to the fact that so much again, kind of the central journey he's on is I'm the leader of the Jedi. Who are the Jedi supposed to be? How have I passed on what I learned? And what are we supposed to do in the face of war? Um, so like these are great philosophical questions. And, and I would say for me, Tyler, my favorite Luke moments are actually the ones in Destiny's Way where he, he has these deep philosophical conversations with Verger. And yeah. Verger is trying to help break him out of this kind of strict binary view of the force, whereas there's the light and the dark and that's it. And Verger and then Jason comes to also believe that the that the force is is so much more than that, right? That that the Jedi that Luke is perpetuating and the Jedi of the old Republic perpetuated kind of a, a, a very narrow view of the Force. So Jason, through Verger, is really pushing against that. Now, granted, we come to learn that Verger has some ulterior motives, but there's also a lot of truth in what she has to say. And I think that Luke is actually very open to that, which is great. So I... I to me, Luke comes across in the books that I read that he's always he is there's still a little bit of that farm boy in him that he is he's still yeah. open to the wonder of the force. He's still open to the wonders of the galaxy and willing to change. Um, and he has a lot of weight on his shoulders. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't find him particularly compelling. Um, I, what, yeah, what do you I think? I agree with that. I, I I think Luke in this series is at his best when he's basically like the angel or the devil on one of the other characters' shoulders, mm. right? He doesn't have a lot of great Luke moments on his own, but I feel like there's a lot of really great moments where like Luke and Anakin are in conflict or Luke and Jason are in conflict or Luke and Jaina or Luke and Kip. And he kind of serves as the other side of a lot of important debates but they end up kind of being the story of the other side of the debate in most cases. And so he doesn't get a lot of showcase. True. Yeah. Um, well, and, and then for me, I think the one, the one character of the big three that I found most disappointing was Leia. I felt Leia in the new Jedi order is very underserved. Um, and I know we've, we've talked about this a little bit, but she just, she, I, I, and, one thing is you made a really great point is I, I kind of, one of the times we were talking, I was like, the thing that bugs me is I really love, I love who Leia was in the sequel trilogy. I really love Leia and Leia in last Jedi. I really love her, um, in rise of Skywalker. Um, you know, she's a very stalwart character, but in the new Jedi order, she kind of becomes this really like broken, 
kind of dependent character that just didn't feel like Leia to me. Um, and, and you made a great point of like, well, we're also, we're experiencing her in the heat of the death of her son and in the death of the government she helped to form. So like in in the death of a good friend in Chewbacca. So we're getting the immediate aftermath, which of course, when we see Leia in the sequel trilogy, this is several years after all that tumultuous stuff with her son and Luke have happened. So she's had some time to process it to be fair, but Leia did seem I don't know. And, and I will, I, I, and again, from some of the old legends books I've reread in the last year, every single star Wars author prior to the new Jedi order, especially really sucks at writing Leia really, really sucks at writing Leia. And it's very clear. It's just a bunch of dudes. Like they can't write her at all. Um, new Jedi order at least tries harder, but I still feel like they kind of fail. Leia feels sidelined through much of this series, even compared to Han and Luke. Um, so I, I'm obviously very critical about this, <laughs> um, no, but what do you what do you think? I don't think you're wrong. Is the thing right? You're allowed to be critical if it's a problem, and I think you're right. Leia has some trouble in this series because I think Leia has always kind of, to me, served two roles in like Star Wars land, right? One is that she's always kind of filled in as like the political piece, especially in the Legends books, right? Whenever we needed some like politicking to get done, Leia's kind of the person who shows up and ends up doing that in most cases. And it's really hard to tell too many political stories when your villains are planning to kill all of you all the time and they're not going to negotiate, right? And so I think that's part of the reason that she struggles. But I think the other thing is that this is just a series that, you know, the precipitating event of it is that her husband's best friend dies. And so to some degree, it's it's going to be a story that feels a little bit more about her husband. Um, and I think because of that, she does get lost. And that's a problem of the books. You're not wrong about it. Mm. Yeah. And um, I mean, one of my one of my favorite moments with Leia, though, is. Uh, it's in Star by Star when they're helping, you know, refugees flee from Coruscant. And she as she's just kind of and, and she's seen the chaos all around her. And she sees the ways like the, the the New Republic politicians, especially, just don't seem to care about anybody but themselves. And she has this moment of regret where, like, did I take the right path? Did I do the right thing? Like, I helped establish this and look what it's become like. And and we also get Leia specifically walking away from the Senate and just being like she washes her hands of it. Um, and and actually, I, I enjoyed that, too, because this is a storyline that's really true in uh, the new canon book, Bloodline, which is written by um, Claudia Gray. Pretty sure it's Claudia Gray, and it's it's you know it's a story that's between Force Awakens and Return of the Jedi, closer to Force Awakens, and we get the story of Leia walking away from politics. We get her well, we're getting her walking away from the New Republic political system and creating the resistance because she understands the threat of the First Order. She's being ignored, so she's like, "Screw it, the hell with you guys. I'm making my own thing." Um, and we don't quite get that same level of activity in Leia here, but we do get a Leia who is shaken to her core in a lot of ways. Um, and, and and I will say, I guess, so as, I, as I'm kind of just talking this out in my head, it, they do at least in a, in, a, in a really great way in this series, take Han, Luke, and Leia and do break them down in very specific ways. So for Leia, that's, you know, what was the system I created? It doesn't even seem like it, it can't even hold up to this because it's so defunct. Like, this is not what I thought I gave my life for. 
Han is losing his closest friend who defines so much of his life. And for Luke, it's what is my role as the Jedi master? So it does do a great job of presenting the big three with kind of these deep, hard questions. Yep. And I think to me, this is the problem that, that we ran into you. I think a couple of times we mentioned star by star is a law book. And I think this highlights why is because this series does such a good job of giving all of its characters really interesting, important things to chew on. But when you give 20 characters important, interesting things to chew on, some of them are going to get lost. And that's kind of what happens to Leia. And honestly, in the second half of the series, it's a little bit what happens to Han as well. Um, And so I think that's something that became more and more of a problem as the series went on, is they did such a good job of introducing all of these new characters that we need more and more and more pages on Jaina and Jason. And that leaves you with like five pages for Leia to deal with the death of her son. And that's not a challenge most writers can handle. True. Yeah. It's it, and and maybe that is the thing. I mean, it is such a it's a huge huge series. Um, yeah. And well, and I'm I should have done the math on this, but I'm curious. Even prior to New Jedi Order, between Heir to the Empire and the final book that came out before New Jedi Order, if there's even 19 books there, it's probably right around 19. It may may crack 20. But if you think about it, they've they've probably essentially doubled the yeah. Legends canon. In a matter of five years, <laughs> you know, so it's it's a lot of story to be telling. So like you said, there's only so much uh, you can give to each character. Um, and, and you know, as you and I have talked about several times, the story is, at least for us, is at its strongest when it is telling kind of the story of Jason and Jaina and their colleagues from the, the Young Jedi Knight series. Yeah, and I, I never knew how much of that was me and just I love Jaina and how much of that was that's what makes the story work and that what feels good. So the fact that you also feel the same way, I'm like, yes, absolutely, Jason and Jaina work. I kind of wish we had ditched the older trio a little bit earlier, right? The the more the story is about this young group, the better I feel like it is. Yeah, agreed. Um, because it's it's it is their series. It is their story moving forward. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's obviously very clear that, uh, at that time in star Wars canon, they just were reluctant to give up the big three, almost as if like, they're like, they just didn't feel like the stories were strong enough to stand on their own without Han, Luke and Leia. And I think this, this series really proved that that wasn't true. Um, and, and again, it's been a while. I, I actually have read all of legacy of the force. I mean, I read it, geez, almost a decade ago. Um, but I really liked that series a lot. Um, and it, it, I mean, it's very, it's much more fresh in your mind. Are Han, Luke and Leia big characters in that? Or are they again, kind of similar to new Jedi order, more kind of background. They're a little bit more in the background than I think they are in new Jedi order, but they are definitely still prominent characters. What I really felt like is in that series, it, the, the, Spotlight was kind of always on Jason. It was always on Luke, Han, Leia, and it was usually on Jaina. But there were a couple of books where she kind of falls into the background also. So that was the series I really felt like 
those were characters that should have been in the background but got a little bit more screen time than they needed to. Whereas in New Jedi Order, they got limited screen time, but it was maybe kind of appropriate to the size of their role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, so by the conclusion of New Jedi Order, I, for one, am very like I, I would have been very excited for where the story would go next because they're. I don't know. There's just like, there's so many open possibilities of, right. Jason is kind of committed to going out into the galaxy and, and learning about the force more from force users that aren't Jedi. And and Luke kind of sanctions that mission and says, come back and tell us what you learn. Um, I've committed to this Jedi council thing and and a new Jedi order with, he's got Kip on board now. Um, You know, Jane is kind of all in on this. So there's, there's, there's kind of this immense possibility and I've never read the, the Joyner King trilogy. I've never heard anything particularly positive about it. I mean, I haven't heard people like crap all over it either, but I heard it's kind of whatever (laughs) it is, what it is. Um, That's about right. Yeah. And the thing that stinks then is is because then the next big series you get is legacy of the force where they essentially just tell a galactic civil war story again, which is very unf- and again like I liked those stories I enjoyed the story of Jason's fall to Darth Kitus but again you have to think about how that series of books also came out right after Revenge of the Sith so it was almost like they were kind of nodding to you and saying hey remember the story of the 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 prequel trilogy we're going to kind of retell it to you right now with the new canon character the, the you know the the later canon characters so I think unfortunately if you think about it that series kind of suffers as a result um what do you think Excuse me. I mean, I I tend to disagree slightly uh, simply because I think we have very different perspectives on the relative quality of the two things that were coming out at the same time. Right. I tend to think that um, Legacy of the Force actually just works better than Revenge of the Sith in some ways. Um, And I'm sure I'm very biased because I love Jaina Solo. Um, But (laughs) because of that, I never really worried about the overlap in those stories. I felt like they they were different enough in that one of them is very much the story of a main character falling to darkness by being kind of tempted, whereas the other one is someone who is so sure of themselves that they can't see the flaws in their logic. And so I saw the character moments as different enough that I could forgive the plots being really similar. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. Um, well, I guess, I, and like I said, I mean, when I when I read that series a decade ago, I really enjoyed it. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's uni- it, it was funny, Tyler, because when I read Unifying Force, which was not even of the of the six books I read, it was it was not one of my favorites. It was fine. I did, and I do think it gives. I mean, it's a very adequate. It's. Uh, conclusion piece if you will to this series i mean it wraps all my questions are essentially answered the story is brought to a good conclusion but i will say that my favorite thing about unifying force though is it had a very return of the jedi feel to me in the sense of there's several scenes where like you have this whole galactic alliance coming together luke comes to the realization that as horrible as the yuzhan vong were they helped unite the disparate um, factions across the galaxy right like this common enemy gave people a reason to unite um, so it, it had this very return of the Jedi optimistic feel of like, yes, we just, we have been going through hell for, for, you know, for a couple of years now fighting this war, but it's brought us all together. We've, we've become clear about 
our, who our role is. I mean, the, like we mentioned earlier, the New Republic has been reshaped into this galactic alliance. So it seems like there's this new political system that's ready to be, uh, you know, more far-reaching across the galaxy, more representative of across the galaxy. You have a very clear-cut role of the Jedi moving forward. Um, so everything kind of comes to this kind of neat conclusion. Um, and... Yeah, and, and, and it just kind of stands poised there for what could be next. Um, so I do I do like where the kind of the trajectory of the story. Um, I think it works really well, and there there is there is a lot of force lore in here. And um, I, I mean, it, for the sake of time, I'm not going to get into all of that now. But at some point later on, I would I, I definitely want to revisit some of what the the lore of the force is in in Legends, and especially compared to now, but. I really love the philosophical moments. And I think this is why I'm actually really drawn to Jason Solo is uh, he's just he's so enamored by the the nature of the force that that's so much of his character story. So, um, you know, while while you you know are so drawn to the practicality and fierceness of Jaina, I'm just so drawn to the the mystical philosopher of Jason. <laughs> um and 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 I and I think this this story it just yeah it just it just ends so well in that regard. Um, I don't know what what do you, what did you think though? You know, I mean, you read all nineteen books. Did did you find this to be a a, a satisfying f- full story? I do. I I think it's it's very well executed. I think the ending works really well. I especially appreciate that we do get the the Vong uprising in addition to just the good guys win. We do see a little bit of that like duality of the society and the fact that they weren't necessarily all evil. And I think the thing that really works for me at the end of this series is that like you say it wraps up very neatly and very cleanly, but there is at least one like re- Real big scary dangling thread looming over everything at least from my perspective um which is the fact that um it's it's the bothans who declare the the blood yes. feud against the vong right yep. and so yep. literally the yuzen vong and zenoma Seacott, I, I believe by the time the next series is out they're more or less in hiding as the the bothans are like looking for zenoma Seacott. they still want to murder all of them and so i love that we get in a really, like you say, a nice, beautiful, kind of wrapped up, clean conclusion that gives all of our characters the closure we're looking for. But there's just enough there to hint at what some of the the tensions that are coming are, and that to me is is one of the challenges with Revenge, or I'm sorry, with Return of the Jedi, is that it ends so happy that it's almost out of left field when Episode Seven exists. And so I think this story does a little bit of a better job of leaving some some things dangling to pick up later and not feel like five years after everything was solved, things are suddenly terrible again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and, and uh, to that. So, uh, you know, maybe before we start it's kind of drawing the conversation to a close, might be interesting to just point out some of the elements from these stories that you saw also make their way into the sequel trilogy. Uh, anything, anything for you that you were like, Oh, this was really cool in the new Jedi order. And here was kind of a way of extrapolating it into the sequel stories. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that jumps out to me is just how much of this series is, it, it makes the way that people use the Force feel very kind of extinctual and fluid. Like you were describing before, we see lots of situations where people are becoming one with the Force, or almost like becoming avatars of the Force. And for me, I felt like that was... was Kind of the same way that I tend to think about Ray, where a lot of people, you know, were concerned about like, did Ray have enough training? Did Ray know what was? And my answer was like, no, she was just doing her like Ganner Rizode thing. She like channeled the force and was amazing. And so that to me is the thing that immediately jumped out to me is the way that characters in this series almost give themselves over to the force and it guides them in a way that we rarely see. And I think that that fits really nicely with the way that we see Ray and even to some degree Finn interact with the force especially in in the force awakens yeah yeah um and um to that point it, it's, it's there's uh there's a moment in unifying force towards the end it's kind of this uh the, one of the things i loved in unifying force i think my favorite story thread in there is just kind of this secret mission that luke jason and Jaina go on to infiltrate shimra's you know, fortress. It just felt very star Wars, right? Like it's just infiltrate the enemy base, take out the, take out the emperor essentially. Um, and there's a moment when Jason is facing down. I, I, I don't know if it's pronounced Omini or Omni, whatever the heck his name is, but the real... I think it's Onimi. Okay, Onimi is essentially, he's even, he's kind of been the one pulling the strings even on Shimura. Uh, that did feel like a weird last minute addition to me, but they got, then again, I didn't read 13 of the books, so maybe it's hinted at stronger than I thought. Um, but when Jason's facing him down, he has he has an encounter with Anakin Skywalker and Anakin tells him to stand firm. It, I, this is, when I was reading it, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is Ray at the end of... Uh, uh, Rise of Skywalker, right? When she when she hears the voice of all the Jedi who came before. Um, yeah. To me, this was just like, yeah, this is Jason. And again, and similar to what you were just saying, it's it's more about he becomes this avatar of the Force. Um, and there are Jedi who are attached to the Force that came before him that that kind of bolster him. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I really liked that element a lot. Yeah, I think the other thing that really stood out to me is is kind of the contrast in the way that Luke Skywalker is portrayed in the two series. And I have to say, to some degree, I kind of like philosophical quiet Luke almost as much, if not more, than I like broody failure Luke, which is surprising to me because I really love Luke in in um in episode eight. But I I think to some degree, I actually think that this like quiet contemplative what did i learn from the war is is almost more more fitting to me for for luke's character in the original trilogy than what we end up getting which according to the mandalorian is someone who is dead set in in his way of thinking about things yeah yeah um i mean and it's funny because you know i think some of the some of the trap that luke fell into in some of the legends can is he, he kind of just became this you know, invincible godlike character. But as I read New Jedi Order, he's really not that. That's not really him at all. Like he he is, like you said, he's kind of con- constantly contemplating his role and the role of what he's passing on um, and always staying very engaged. And so like, I mean, 
unlike you, I mean, I, I still don't, I still don't hundred percent buy the, the episode eight Luke Skywalker interpretation. I, I get it, but I don't, it still just doesn't sit right with me. It still doesn't feel right. Um, and this Luke feels more right to me. And, and I would say the, the big moment, at least that I read for Luke is of course in unifying force when he does just become this enigma of a lightsaber, <laughs> you know, wielder where he's just cutting down Yuzhan Vong left and right as he faces Shimra. Um, I mean, it was a big epic moment. Um, but the thing that's important to realize is even in that moment, Luke is under like he is channeling the force. It's and he, it's not like he's enjoying combat for the sake of combat. Um, and and I don't think that's ever true of Luke. And, and, you know, Luke is constantly throughout the story contemplating how do we beat the Vong and even earlier. So, right, you mentioned the, how the, the Bothans declare essentially this total war against the Vong and they want to wipe out every living Yuzhan Vong, man, woman and child. Um, Luke is obviously wildly opposed to that. Um, but even earlier on, and I can't remember which book it's introduced in, but in one of the books might have been Destiny's Way, the New Republic intelligence creates this bioweapon that can supposedly wipe out all of the Yuzhan Vong. And Luke is also very against that, right? He's very against this this notion of total war. So Luke is constantly trying to figure out, you know, how do we win this war and how do how do I win this war as a Jedi? Can Jedi win war? Um, you yeah. know, is a great question. So I is as much as Luke is isn't like a huge central character for me in this series. I do like who he is. And, and, and I dare I say, I might actually enjoy this Luke more than episode eight Luke, which honestly isn't hard for me to say, cause I still don't really like episode eight Luke. Um, Fair. you know, I mean, I want to, and I, and I get why people love him and I'm totally here for it, but it just still doesn't sit right for me. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a great point about who this Luke is in this story. Um, and, 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 and he, and, also with Han, um, you know, I mean, I, I, Han has always been my favorite character and Han is wildly boring in the Jedi Academy trilogy by Kevin J. Anderson. He is such a boring ass character, <laughs> um, but he gets so fleshed out in this series. I mean, we get to see a very human Han dealing with very real grief um, and and. And I, and I just appreciate the humanity that's that's kind of breathed into him in this series. Yeah, and I think we haven't even talked about him yet, but after Han loses Chewie for the, about probably a good third of the series, he ends up with uh, another co-pilot named Droma who brings out just some truly wonderful Han moments. And so I, I think we do get, honestly, I think of the original three, Han is the one who who gets treated the best by this, this series. Luke kind of becomes a background player. Uh, Leia vanishes a little bit, but but Han gets to shine a bit. He gets a lot of really important character moments, and I think they're well executed. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, so, uh, if for the sake of time, the 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 last thing I want to bring up, and 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 this was this was always my biggest sticking point with this series, specifically surrounding the Yuzhan Vong. And I love that you you answered this because I asked you this question. I had, I think I had only read Vector Prime and Star by Star, and and I asked you this question, you know, about a month ago. You know, 
do the Yuzhan Vong, what is their what is their place in the force? And you gave me a very succinct and perfect answer. And I definitely it definitely gets all pieced out by the end of the series. But I think your succinct answer made it really make sense for me. So for the sake of all of you listening, essentially what I asked Tyler was, you know, what's up with the Yuzhan Vong not existing in the force? Like, how does that make sense? And Tyler, what did you say? Yeah, I mean, basically the way that I understand it is that it is not that they do not exist in the Force at all. There are, to some degree, two things kind of happening simultaneously. One is that whatever way they interact with the Force is not the same as the way that the Jedi interact with the Force, right? So they might have some relationship to a Force or the Force, but it's not the same as the way that Jedi do, and so the way that Jedi interact with it kind of is incompatible with the Vong. And then in the last story, or then in the last book or two, we get this story about the origins of the Vong and how they were actually kind of cut off from the Force to some degree. So so I think between those two pieces and then what we eventually learn about Vong sense, it, it works pretty well, although the details are somewhat sketchy. Yeah. And and because you kind of gave me that premise, it it was easy to kind of fill in the blanks as those the stories went on. And and, and Jason and Vergare, like Vergare learns it before Jason, but they are connected to the force in a way, but it's in a way the Jedi can't sense. So, again, it becomes this point in the story of the new Jedi Order that, again, the 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 Jedi Order, as Luke has known it and as Luke continues to perpetuate it, is narrow. It's, you know, it's, it's not open to all the endless possibilities. So Jason understands that the Vong do exist in the force just in a way beyond what Jedi of their existence can experience. But then Jason does develop this thing called Vong sense. Um, And so does the character of Tahiri, right? And Jason kind of helps Tahiri hone her, her Vong sense. So there is, um, you know, so much of the early part of the series is like because the, the Jedi are flabbergasted, like how come we can't affect them with the Force? This this is our superpower, and we can't even use it. They're kryptonite, you know. And again, I think yeah. this is this was a brilliant aspect that the writers brought to it, which was how do we neutralize the Jedi from being superheroes and superpowered? Um, which was the yeah. same question Timothy Zahn asked all the way back in '91 with the creation of the Isil Army, right? They're they're kind of this kind of odd piece to star Wars, but it was a way of neutralizing Luke Skywalker. So he doesn't become Superman. Um, so I thought that it was really smart that the Vong did that. And it wasn't just for the sake of neutralizing the Jedi. It was to a degree, but it was also to be this spark of expanding the Jedi. So I, I actually really appreciated that aspect as it, as it drew out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the Vong, to some degree, are, I think of them as a necessary evil. They are not the ideal Star Wars villain. They are not the ideal way of getting at an invasion story. But the stories that they allowed the writers to tell were worth the downsides of the Vong being kind of an odd fit for Star Wars in my mind. Yeah. Um, well, any any other, you know, any like big questions or big points that you feel like we, we should hit on before we wrap this up? 
Um, no, I think we covered most of the major things that I looked at. I mean, to me, this is a it's a really great story because it gives so many characters and so many things in Star Wars room to breathe. And so summarizing an entire book like this is hard because really what I want to be doing is saying things like, remember that one time on that one planet where Wedge did the crazy thing with the empty ship? And, and that's not super helpful to your readers. But all I will say is there's a lot of good here. Go read them. <laughs> yeah. No, and and it, well, it's funny because I was going to say like, and, and um, I'll I'll attempt this first, and then I'll invite you to do the same. But you know, kind of your elevator pitch to a fellow Star Wars fan who's never read the New Jedi Order, right? Um, and and I'll start by saying this too because I'll own it. You know, get a friend to recommend the essential books. Like if you don't have the time or the wherewithal to read nineteen books, totally get that. I didn't do it either, um, but I I would say that this is a really really fun Star Wars story chock full of new enriching characters um, that make the galaxy feel bigger. Um, it makes the stakes feel bigger and there is an, a, there's an, an, an emotional attachment to these characters and their story. Um, you know, it's, it's all those essential elements of star Wars that I love. It's, it's a, it's a huge mythological story um, that expands our understanding of, of who the Jedi are, of what the force is, and of who our characters are in relationship to that. Um, and yeah, I think it's it's a really fun take on Star Wars. And it's and it's still even with everything that exists now in the Star Wars canon the you know, the new canon, um, I would say the new Jedi Order really sets itself apart. It's something very different um, from from what exists now. And. Um, and I would also say at this point, too, because it is legends and these books, you know, this this story has been wrapped for almost 20 years. If you're one of those people that gets kind of bent out of shape about canon stuff and like, oh, is this canon? Is this not canon? And you just want to have a fun time with Star Wars. These books are perfect for that, I would say. Um, so that's kind of my sputtery little spiel. What? How about you, Tyler? How do you how do you pitch this to to a Star Wars fan? Yeah, I, I guess my pitch is Star Wars is something that we all love because it found ways to tell stories that we were familiar with in ways that felt kind of new and magical, right? There's nothing about the original, you know, A New Hope or Empire Strikes Back that you look at and you say, you know, from a plot perspective, this is brand new. It's, it's stories we've seen before, but Star Wars has this amazing ability to take you somewhere just in terms of how you feel and in terms of how you relate to these stories. And I think that's what this series has in spades. It has characters that you want to fall in love with the same way you did when like Leia shot out the entrance to a trash compactor. And it's, it's just like you said, it's fun. And I think it's, it's worth investing in, in these people because they, they have really great moments and the character work is, is exceptionally done for legends books. Most of the time when I read legends, I'm like, okay, let's blow up that thing. And it's, done this i can actually read and enjoy as a book instead of just as you know kind of my my weekly injection of star wars and i think that's worth reading mm -hmm. absolutely so um you know this is here we are condensing for tyler 19 books and myself six books 
into an hour and a half discussion, which is certainly not sufficient to, to cover the intricacies of these books. Um, obviously, there's a plethora of resources, but hopefully this conversation at least just uh, illuminated you a bit to to the series in general and, and maybe even piqued your interest to, to pick up one of these books. And, you know, I think, Tyler, you would agree with me, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so feel free to follow up, but... I think at least start with, if you've never read them, just read Vector Prime and see what that feels like, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I think Vector Prime is a great, great Star Wars story, um, irregardless of whether or not you want to dive into the whole series. And and Tyler, I'm curious if you kind of agree with this sentiment, but Vector Prime also has a bit of a new hope feel to it because the end of the story is they ultimately win, but there's a lot still to come. Right. Um, but even if you if you were like, you know, what, I want to at least try Vector Prime and you read it and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of all set you could actually be done with the series. Like, I feel like, okay, that's like, it's, it's a complete yeah. story in and of itself. Yeah. And I will say my big complaint about vector prime is that it has too happy of an ending. But if your plan is to <laughs> yeah. read one book and see what happens, it actually works really well as a standalone book. If you just pretend like all of the bad guys are in one place instead of everywhere. So I agree with Carl, try one. The worst thing that can happen is you read a decent star Wars story and decide it's not for you. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's great. Um, well, Tyler, thanks for being on the show for the first time and, and helping me unpack this wild new Jedi Order series I took last month. Um, and yeah, uh, glad I could be here. And, and this is actually a really great podcast. I'm going to have to start listening to it. Yeah, well, I mean, I certainly would, would love that. And speaking of good podcasts to listen to, I know you and um, again, if you're if if you're a regular listener, you've sh- surely um, heard of my buddy Greg, good old Greg Cass, Ion Cannon, over on the Twitter world. Um, Greg has been on the show several times. Brilliant, brilliant Star Wars thinker. Um, but outside of the realm of Star Wars, Tyler, you're a big fantasy guy, and you and Greg are launching a, a, a podcast series really um, later this summer. So, what's that all about? Yeah, so me and Greg are launching a new podcast. We're calling it Through the Glass Columns, a Wheel of Time read-along podcast. And basically what this is is me, who is obsessed with the Wheel of Time and has read it five times or so, um, interacting with Greg, who has never touched it and in our first episode says what he thinks the books are about, and he is very, very wrong. So every week we're going to be reading one or two chapters. We're going to be having a discussion talking about like themes and major ideas in the chapters, and we really hope it's an accessible way of kind of getting into what is admittedly a massive series. Hopefully you'll be willing to, you know, take one or two weeks at a time and, you know, work through what I think is is one of the great fantasy series in existence. Um, so once again, it's Through the Glass Columns, a Wheel of Time read-along podcast, and we're going to be launching sometime either in late June or early July. So keep an eye out anywhere that podcasts are available. Yeah, and of course, because Tyler and Greg are such good friends of mine, I will... If for any of you who are Wheel of Time people, or or like Tyler said, have, have you, even if you're just curious of dabbing your you know your your toes in the water there because it is a huge series, um, I'm going to keep you all updated because I I look forward to to starting the book myself to follow along with their podcast series because I think it's it's a great idea and I know there's a lot of you know fantasy always has big overlap with Star Wars so um, that might be something you want to check out later this summer. Um, so yeah, Tyler, thanks for, thanks for coming on for the first time to, to, to talk this through with me a bit. 
Um, and as always, you know, all of you listening, if you you know want to weigh in on on the New Jedi Order, because I know a lot of a lot of our listeners love this series, and I would love to get some of your feedback. You know, feel free to DM us on on Instagram or Twitter, or send us an email um, to, to get in touch. Um, and of course you can do that on Twitter at Wampas Lair. We're on Instagram at the Wampas Lair. And, um, of course our email is Wampas Lair podcast at gmail.com. Um, so Tyler, I think that's going to wrap this one up. Thank you so much for being on with me. Um, and thank you for listening to this 471st episode of the Wampas Lair for Tyler. I'm Carl, and we will see you next time here in the Wampas Lair.